0: Welcome to the Mystery of Home Education with Linda LaCour-Hobar, author of The Mystery of History, a world history curriculum for all ages. This pre-recorded podcast is designed for new and returning homeschool parents seeking direction, encouragement, and inspiration from a biblical worldview. And now, your hostess, Linda LaCour-Hobar.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to the mystery of home education. I am very excited about our topic today because we're going to talk about the Newbery and Caldecott medals, which means we get to wander into children's literature. Now, to me, that is an absolute delight. We get to be the kids today, you could say, just picture us all sprawled on the floor looking at books and books teach us about the world and teach us about ourselves too. I will say, I think the best hour of the day is the one where you just get home from the library with a giant stack of books to sink into. And if you have a house full of kids, the quiet that comes with it, it's priceless. Well, helping me today is my guest, Kelly Howe. Now she's a new friend of mine who lives just a couple of miles away and who is in fact a Newberry and Caldecott collector and enthusiast. Friends, if you can only imagine my excitement when we recently met, I'm getting to know this this new gal, and I'm like, wait a minute, you have a house full of vintage children's books that you buy, sell, and collect, and you live nearby? Let's be fast friends. Well, she agreed, and here we are. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you so much, Linda.
0: I'm so glad to be here talking about one of my very favorite subjects in the world.
1: Yes, I know. We definitely have uh, our hearts knit together on that one. All right, let's just get right to these books. First of all, would you please define for our listeners the Newbery Awards? Tell us the background of how they got started.
0: Yes, um, the Newbery Award was the brainchild of Frederick Melcher, and he met with the ALA, the American Library Association, um, in 1921. And he proposed an award for the best of the best of children's literature. and it um, before then, there had been no awards for children's literature. It had kind of been a neglected um, genre, if you will. And he I've always found it amusing. this award is is only awarded to um, American authors that are American citizens and um, published by American publishers, but it is named after an English publisher, um, oh. Newberry. And, um, John Newberry. And John Newberry, he lived in England from 1713 to 1767, and he was a huge advocate for children's literature. Um, he felt that, and this is a direct quote from him, the concept children need and deserve imaginative, pleasurable, and attractive books to read. And before this, um, children's literature had been a very, it was, they had very spiritual, but almost a darkness spiritual um, aspect to it. Mm-hmm. There was not a lot of levity. There was not a lot of um, imagination and fun and humor and Mr. Newberry felt like that this is a special time in our lives as children that deserve books written for that special time. So the first award, after they met in 1921 and unanimously agreed this would be the very first uh, children's book award in the world, um, the first award was a uh, was in 1922, and it went to "The Story of Mankind" by um, Hendrik Van Loon, which is still used in many of today's um, home education circles as a wonderful history supplement, and um, it's been going strong since then. So we've, we've had a hundred year um, hundred year run. and that's I,
1: right mm-hmm.
0: It's a gray it's um, the award is voted on by members of the American Library Association. Um, Actually, it's 15 people um, Mm -hmm. that vote on it. And they also have, um, they called them runners up until the 70s. Now they're called honor recipients. And they are, still have the same strict strict and criteria of being for children and at a children's perspective and something that will um, edify, build up, and and, um, encourage children in their reading, Same, it is the same criteria for the honors books.
1: So those two uh, are literally prestigious, even to be an honorary, because there's just a handful of those, right?
0: Absolutely. When you think of the number of children's books that are published in any given year, and you will have one Newbery winner, And then typically you'll have three honor recipients. That's four books out of all the hundreds and hundreds that are published. So it is very, it's a very coveted award.
1: Wow. Yeah, sounds like it. Well, tell me a little bit about your collection as in why did you start collecting them? How far did you get in owning them all? And how long did it take you to get where you are today?
0: I have loved books since I think I came out of the womb and some of my best days were spent at the library as a child in the summer and I wanted to have my own personal library when I was a little girl and I even had the little library cards and everything. I was probably the most serious about collecting them when I was 18, 19 years old out of high school in college and I just started picking them up Um, I would see them at yard sales or um, sometimes buy them new. I had a lot of them just as books that my parents had bought me. Mm -hmm. This collection has taken me, well, I'm 55, so 45 years. Um, I have, let's see, I wrote it down. I have from 2016 to 1948, I have every Newberry winner and honor book that has been released.
1: Ooh, and the honor book. See, that's a big deal. Okay, keep going.
0: Um, the ones prior to two, uh, 2016, um, I'm a cheapskate now, so I only buy them used. So I, I, as I see them at book sales or things like that, I'll pick them up. So I don't have any doubt in my mind that the the ones, the ones, newer ones I'll add to my collection but the ones that are in the 30s and 20s, they are hard to find at a price that I can afford. A lot of those are definitely collectors. Um they're they're the unicorns out there.
1: But I I, I feel like I'll have them all eventually. That's my goal. Uh-huh. Well, that leads me to my next question, which is what are some tips you would have for new collectors who are interested. And joining in these ranks, like what are some of the best places to find them and what are maybe the worst places to find them?
0: Well, we live in an age right now that is incredible. There are so many of the publishers now that are reprinting and um, getting the rights to reprint some of these beautiful books that lay dormant for so long. So, you know, there are opportunities to buy them new um, and in in. Your local bookstores or online, but I am a bargain hunter. Um, some of my best in um, finds have been in estate sales or yard sales. I never fail to stop and I never fail to go through a box of books. I will mm-hmm. always be the one sitting on the floor, bumming through them. And I have found some beautiful, wonderful treasures. Um, Goodwill is also um, a hit or miss, but a, a, it's worth mm-hmm. stuff. I love of any used bookstores um I will always if I'm going to be somewhere new and a lot of people will look up you know museums and things like that I'm looking at used bookstores where can I go to to get lost mm-hmm. in a bookstore
1: right and I would think now I don't know this for sure tell me if I'm right but I would think the advantage to the thrift store is that the people there may not realize what they have and might have something priced real low where at a used bookstore the chances are that the owners of that Store know what they have, so it might not be a bargain. Is there some truth to that? Well, there used to be, <laughs> Unf- Okay.
0: unfortunately for us collectors, but good for the thrift stores. And you know the the usually a thrift store is, is trying to raise money for a good organization. They've caught on to some things that are worth money, and they have people there now that will go through things. So, oh, okay, very rare that you can find one of these treasures that slips through there. It does happen. Though, but not as not as often as it did, say ten years ago.
1: All right, they're on to us. Okay, good. Well, let's shift gears. Please tell us a little bit more about the Caldecott, like how they're different from the Newberries. Tell us a little bit more about them.
0: The Caldecott um, are based on illustrations, where the Newberry is more about the the story. The Caldecott is more about the illustrations. They are our picture books. And I hate to say, you know, a picture book, yes, they're for our younger, our younger audience. But um, my my children, my 21, 26, 14-year-old kids, they all have favorite picture books that they still love to hear read aloud. So mm-hmm. um, an illustration is such an important way to tell a story, especially one that is a, such short Short on words as a picture book is. Mm-hmm. So it was started by the same man, uh, Frederick Melcher, who went to the ALA um, in 1937 after he had had such a great um, experience with the Newberry taking off in the award. And he um, suggested they have this award for the picture books. And it was named after, once again, an English illustrator Ralph Caldecott so once again we have an American award
1: that Mm -hmm.
0: named after an English illustrator and the very first um, Caldecott award was issued in 1938 and it was uh, Animals of the Bible and it was illustrated by Dorothy Lathrop and that one has actually just been republished and is pretty easy to find. But I love picture books, Linda. I mean, I love Newberries too, but I love the artwork. I have favorite illustrators, of course. And I think that you can do so much to catch a child's attention, a pre-reader especially, with beautiful pictures.
1: Mm -hmm. So true. Well, what tips would you have for our listeners on managing the Calgicards? Like, are these the type books that you're going to say, hey, grandparents, you know, maybe we would like these for Christmas, or are these the ones you will find plentiful at the library? Caldecott's actually are harder to come by.
0: Um, The older ones more so than the Newberry. They are just now, um, publishers are just now catching on and republishing some of the older ones. But a lot of the tried and true favorites never did go out of publication. So... um, I think this is a definite grandparent gift, definite keepsake gifts. Um, But you, once again, you can also find these in um, library sales, in estate sales, in used bookshops. I have books all over my house. Each child has a a bin of their favorites that I have saved that will go to their children one day. Oh, I
1: love that. We're going to circle back to those, but I want to um, talk again about the newberries. I'm assuming you have some favorites, but let's back up a step to maybe the categories, because I know there's like specialties in the newberries categories. Describe what what maybe your favorite categories are.
0: My favorite category is going to be a tie. I love historical fiction, like you. Um, I have a real uh, passion, especially for the American Revolution. When I was teaching my children, um, I, my oldest son loved the Revolution, Revolutionary War period. And so we have, and the Civil War period as well. So we have a lot of books that we shared together. So that's a special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Also, um, I used the Charlotte Mason method and mindset when I was teaching. So I have a love for nature. So any of the books that have a a nature theme running through it. I'm I'm drawn to those as well.
1: That makes perfect sense. Uh well what now I have a very difficult question for you and you're going to hate me for asking it, but I warned you that this question was coming. Can you give us three of your all-time favorite Newberries and maybe why? Just oh. to again inspire our folks who are listening.
0: It's like, I feel like I am trying to not upset all my other favorites. And I hope (laughs)
1: they're not listening.
0: (laughs) Um, I thought about this after you told me um, that you would be asking this and it was very difficult. But I did come up with three that I would consider my my probably my best of the best.
1: Okay, I have pen in hand because I don't know the answer to this yet. You've not revealed. So fire away. First one is Little Town on the Prairie.
0: I am a huge Laura Ingalls Wilder fan and have read every book on her biography-wise. I love her books and her style of writing because not only is she excellent in character development and to where you feel like you really, she doesn't try to make her characters perfect. Um, I always identified with Laura Um, because Mm -hmm. she was getting into trouble and, and she was the one that would jump the gun and want to be right in there doing things. And that is when you have a series, especially like she did of books that you, you feel like you're in the books. I remember when when I read the last book in the series being so sad that it was Mm -hmm. over. So that's when you truly have a a great book. Um, my second favorite would go along the nature lines of my my favorite genre. And it's Men of the Mississippi by Holling C. Holling. Um, I love Holling C. Holling. He is in my top five authors and illustrators. He illustrates all his own books. And his illustrations are as much a part of the story as the book is. But mm-hmm. this one is is a must read. It is just, especially with us living right by the Mississippi river. And mm-hmm. it, it's, um, it's a great geography lesson that you don't even know you're learning geography in. And my last one is a very early winner. It was the 1934 winner. and it's invincible Louisa. And it's the story of Louisa May Alcott. And again, one of my favorite authors of all times. And this tells, um, it takes the author of my favorite book and makes me feel like we could be best friends.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: a great character development on that one. So those are my three favorites.
1: Okay. Now to clarify, are those Newbery honor award winners? The little town on the Prairie is a
0: 1942 honor. Okay. Men of the Mississippi is a 1952 honor. And, Invincible Louisa is a 1934 winner.
1: Ah, the 1934 winner. Okay. I've been studying the list. And so I just wanted to clarify. Okay. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. That is um, sweet. Well, I wanted to let my listeners know that I've been crafting a guide to the Newberry medals. It's going to line up with the mystery of history. This turned into a much bigger project than I thought it would be. Uh, But I'm happy to report that we already had several of the Newberry winners in our reading list. Uh, For those that don't know, we have rather extensive supplemental books and resource lists. They're in our companion guides. And of course, a companion guide comes with every one of our student readers. But what's been fun is how I've been coming across some lesser known titles that I really do plan to get better acquainted with. So for me personally, I guess you could say that The new Berry Metal winners have been in my peripheral vision for a very long time, maybe not in full view. It's like I knew they were special when I'd come across them, but I wasn't necessarily on the hunt for them. Well, now that I am, oh my goodness, it is so addicting. I'm planning to hit the library today. I have a list in hand of some some new ones I want to pick up. By the way, uh, listener, to get this printable guide, you will need to go to my website and just look for the tab called Workshops, and it's going to be there as a free PDF download. So go to themysteryofhistory.com, go to Workshops, look for the Mystery of History Guide to the Newberry Metals. So if some of you even want to pause right now and just go grab that, please do, because we're going to talk a little bit about this list that I've come up with. We're going to look at it more closely. And by the way, when I made the list just to uh, keep my sanity about me, I did stick with the winners only. I did not get as far as all the honors. So that was a tough call to make, but I had to get somewhere with it. So, okay, Kelly, coming back to you off of the list I made, which I hope some of my friends are looking at it now. What are some that maybe you have found particularly meaningful that you think our listeners will want to check out? Now, again, I've got a few of these under my belt. Some I love, some I like, and I have a few favorites, but let me hear yours first and then I'll tell you mine. I've got three favorites I'll share.
0: Okay. One of my favorites would be the Matchlock Gun, and it was the 1942 Newberry winner. One of the reasons I like this one, it deals with um, a 10-year-old boy And he has become the father, sort of the father of the house while his father is out fighting um, in the war. And I like it. We don't get a lot of really good history, historical fiction books written for that age. I don't feel like we have quite a few that are geared for an older reader. But this is one that will capture a younger like as young as six to seven. It's not a long book and it's a beautifully illustrated Newberry And I think that it is a great introduction to chapter books as well as a great historical fiction book.
1: Okay. And that's also centered in the French and Indian War, right? Yes, it is. Okay. Which is a little lesser done than, you know, American Revolution, Civil War for Americans. Okay. Do you have a second one?
0: I do. And we go from something that's kind of a simpler one to one that's a little bit more difficult to read. And it's Adam of the Road. Um, It was written by Elizabeth Gray, and it was the 1943 Mm winner. And this one is set in 1294, which you don't get a lot of books set in 1294. But this one is a very interesting um, story of Adam and his father and his dog. I love that the dog is in it. And it's just literally about a walk that they take and the things that they see and that they encounter. Um, during this walk and um, it's the minstrels you've got your you've got your um, your kind of King Arthur your your knights and such as that you've got a good character development with Adam Adam is lonely a lot of times throughout the book and his father is doing adult things while his son feels left alone. And it's about the friends that they meet and the, the fellowship that he
1: finds along mm-hmm. the way.
0: So that is another one that I really liked.
1: And I have to second that I got to read that book during quarantine because it made our read aloud favorites, which I'll talk about in a minute. So yes, that, that is a precious book. I, I really liked it quite a bit. And I guess my third, we've got two boy
0: centered books and I'm going to pull in a girl one here and it's the midwife's apprentice. By Karen Cushman. I love Karen Cushman. This is a newer book, easy to find. Um, and it was the 1996 winner. And um, this is set in 14th century England. And sh- this this young girl, she's probably 12 or 13. We re- we're not told, but that's about the age that mm-hmm. we think. And she is literally a midwife. I mean, she is, she is. If you can imagine our preteens, you know, having a job like this mm-hmm. in craziness, but she is growing up and um, she is apprenticing to the, the little um, villages midwife and she's learning all this. And she's um, again, we have another pet in it. I have a thing with, with people, with the characters having pets. He has a <laughs> cat named Pur, and she struggles with you know her age and what she's learning, and she struggles with again feeling isolated because it's just her, but it's a wonderful story of overcoming those mm-hmm. obstacles and making the best of a situation and finding joy in the situation i just I thought that was a delightful book.
1: Well, that is on my list. I have not read that one yet. I stumbled across it not long ago. And from what I recall, it is in and around the Black Plague. So she would have additionally had that challenge. So yeah, I I need to read that one. Well, real quick, probably my three favorites off of this list that I compiled. And again, it's like asking, well, which are your favorite children? It's an impossible question. But I would say I really, really enjoyed Crispin which is out of the Middle Ages because, again, it's about a a boy who meets a kindly monk who really takes him in, and he's an orphan, and it's just so Middle Ages. It really is, but it gives you a feel for the time as well as just great character development. So I liked Crispin. I also really like Iwan de Pareja. Not sure if I'm even pronouncing that correctly, but it's a true story. And it's about an artist who is enslaved and earns his freedom based on his gifts and talents. So it's a really moving story. And I just thought it was written beautifully. Then... I would probably have to also vote for Johnny Tremaine, maybe because that's one I remember reading um, out loud with my kids when they were in the throes of homeschooling. So we have memories wrapped around it, and it's about a silversmith during the American Revolution. So it, again, reveals history, but through the eyes of a boy. So hard to beat that one. OK, well, personal story, you know, Newberry winning or not, I I can remember So many children's stories that I think really shaped me. So just as a reminder to parents listening about why, again, we're going to invest so much time in this. But I think I learned I was a people person from the friendly book. You and I talked about this book before. It's just a little golden book. Uh, by Margaret Wise Brown. But I love this little story because it ends with I like people. And I think that that struck a chord in me even as a little child. I think I learned to love adventure and romance through all those King Arthur books. I was also the girl at the library and I really flocked to those. I think I fell in love with well-developed characters reading Wind in the Willows. I remember a third grade teacher telling me I needed to read that book. And I was just Excited that she thought of me in this story. I don't know. She just connected me to a little world. And then I'm pretty sure that I wanted to fly because of one storybook I read as a child that I cannot find. If anybody knows of this book, please tell me. I've been looking for it. But in this story, there's some little boy that rubs this magical ointment on his shoulder blades. And somehow or another, he like sprouts wings and flies. And I don't know. I just (laughs) remember this book stretching my imagination. And I loved it. And I'd love to find it. Now, Kelly, uh, you were hinting to me the other day that you know a person that can help you find books. Tell tell my listeners who that is in case they're in the same position I'm in and they're looking for something. They don't know the title to.
0: There is a um, Instagram um, account and it's called Children's Books Illustrations. I'll send you the link that um, you can have in the show notes. Yeah, I'll do that. And- okay. She she just highlights illustrators, but she has this gift. People will write her and tell her, I had this, just like you said, I had this uh-huh. childhood that I loved, and it was about this, this, and this. She'll put it out there on her, her website, and uh-huh. there have been very few that she's not been able to find the answers to drawing from a vast amount of people. So, I'm okay. There- featured in newspaper articles because of her gift and the people that follow her help her. So it's like a community
1: effort. Okay. I love that. Okay, good. We'll definitely put that link in the show notes. Well, I'd like to shift gears just a little bit, talk about the broader category of read-alouds. Would you first give us a working definition of a read-aloud? Again, if they're a Newbery winner or not, what do you think best defines these and why do you think they're so valuable?
0: I think that a read aloud, a working definition of a read aloud would be a book that captures the heart of your child and it becomes a part of of their childhood. Of course, I'm, I tend to go for a read aloud to chapter books and when, by chapter books. Frog and Toad are Friends. That's a chapter book with very short chapters. So you can, of course, a picture book can be a read aloud. And and like I said earlier, my older kids still love to hear their favorite picture books read aloud. But I remember when I was trying to help my children fall in love with reading through reading aloud, I would find books that had cliffhangers on um the ends of the chapters and i would be okay well that's it i'm not and then oh no no we want another chapter please mom And mm-hmm. I would say, oh, if you would like to see what happens next the book will be here on the table and you can read a forward but i'm done reading and that was a very sneaky way that worked because i would catch them inevitably reading ahead because they they didn't like stopping on the, on the cliffhanger so a read aloud is something that will capture their hearts, their imaginations, and that they will want to hear more of. And, mm. and don't feel bad if you start a book as a read aloud and nobody is really getting into the book. Um, that doesn't mean it's a failure. It doesn't mean it's not a good book. It just means it's not a good fit for this time and this season in your family. And it's okay to stop and start a different book. Um, But give it a chance. Sometimes the beginning may be a little slow, but you'll hit a middle and they just they can't wait to hear the next chapter. But I don't want to add any more guilt to today's mom by thinking Mm. I've got to trudge through this book that everyone in this family despises right now. You don't. You can stop. You are allowed. I'm giving you permission. <laughs> you oh, I
1: love that. A permission slip. Yes. Yeah, stop the books that just aren't working. We do need to hear that. As a matter of fact, in the Charlotte Mason circles right now, of course, living books are so popular. And I would equate those to read aloud as far as, um, you know, there's living books that just really do Capture the hearts of children, but a few other, uh, another working definition of that is I find that living books are commonly written by a single author rather than a committee, which is why we kind of weed out maybe some of those textbooks that are written by committees. So if it's even a nonfiction, it's still by a person who's passionate about the subject. Uh, typically living books really do draw on stories, meaning they're going to have a real moral tone or message, again, even if it's a nonfiction. And they're memorable because of the characters, be that they're real or imagined. And um, I'm happy to report that the mystery of history does fall under the category of a living book because I'm a single author and because there's a moral tone and message. So um, I know we look like a textbook, but when you In reality, we're a whole collection of biographies that are very living in nature. But anyway, I just have to add to, I think for me, the value of quality literature for children is that I look at it as this safe place where they and you can sit down and sort through, you know, what is it that we value and what do the fruits of the spirit look like in this person's life or the lack thereof? You know, we can obviously root on the characters that are making good decisions and talk about why the results of the ones that are making the bad decisions. And then you add history on top of that, or say a tragedy, a story that is about real life. And I don't know, I feel like it's a chance to go to the battlefield, but from the comfort of your home, where you can look at those really hard things in life. So anyway, moving on, I suspect that the folks that choose these Newbery winners, they're looking for some of these criteria as well. You know, we're looking at read alouds, chapter books, living books, but do you know what else that they would specifically say that they're looking for? Do you know?
0: I feel like a book doesn't have to be an award winner to check your boxes, to, to light your fire, to um, capture the imagination in the heart of your child. So don't feel like that that is a parameter that you have to stay within. But there are, um, I'm thinking of one book in particular that I love, and I think I recommended it to you, The All-of-A-Kind Family. Um, That book is one that, that deals with um, the depression era and the family having to come together. And there is the moral story and it's told from a Jewish perspective. It is a Jewish family that um, they may not have a lot, but they um, it goes through the year and the, and the feast that they observe the biblical feast that they observe and their, their cohesiveness as a unit of, Mm -hmm. of of their family. And Mm -hmm. again, this is something that children relate to. It, it's a totally different era. They're dealing with totally different problems and situations, but there's the not enough money for the designer, you know, for the 1930s version of the designer shoes or dresses. And there's, there's still that familiar of uh, familiarity there of things that children go through. And mm-hmm. that, we can discuss with them, well, they they had a problem like you have, and this is how they approached it, and this was their solution. Um, I love what you said earlier about going through the hard parts of our history from the comfort of your armchair, and also I would add from maybe even the comfort of your parents' lap while you're reading them. It's mm-hmm. a safe spot yeah. where we can work out our worldview. We can work out um, what happened and how they worked through certain situations.
1: Yeah. Good and evil. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: a, A read aloud book that can, can do all that. That's a keeper.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I also wanted to let my listeners know, if they didn't know, that the mystery of history has been trying to pare down our big list, and we have come up with what we call read-aloud favorites. And the reason this started is that uh, it just seems like more and more today's homeschool mom is juggling so much more than just home education. So many moms are working. Uh, we're just in challenging times, period. Some people are teaching at home who were never planning to, and so for those who feel a little bit more, <clears throat> a little bit more overwhelmed, and they look at our list of hundreds of titles and go, "Ah, I can't do that." Well, we've tried to pare it down to what we call twelve, around twelve. Read aloud. Favorites. So so far we have these for volumes one, two, three. We're f- currently working on volume four. So I just wanted folks to know that. And now out of our list, though, of course our niche is going to be those that are related to world history. So some are Newbery winners, some are not, um, but they kind of stick to our niche with the world history themes. And if I could share one of my favorite read alouds that also is not necessarily a an award winner, at least not a Newbery award winner, it would be the Son of Charlemagne. I don't know if you know this book, but it's by Barbara Willard. And I tell you, it's it just became one of my favorites because it's heavy on history and light on fiction. So that's probably why I like it so much. But it honestly helped me really see the reign of Charlemagne through the eyes of his son. So it's written about a boy. And I just loved it. I have said to more than one person, like, if I had time to write that kind of stuff, like, I, I'm a Barbara Willard wannabe. <laughs> I just love what she did. And she's written a handful of historical fictions. But again, they're heavy on the history and stayed true to the story. So I really liked that. Um, Let's see. There's probably a little bit more we could talk about since we were just talking about what makes a good book. I'll talk about a grid that I've observed is that grids are different for different personalities. For example, and y'all already know this about your own children, but I looked at one of my children who... She didn't like the read-alouds that were going to make her feel too much because she's not a real feely person, but she loved the ones that were going to challenge her vocabulary. So she really had a a lofty sense of literature about her. So to this day, she's the one who's read far more classics than I have because that's what she likes. Then I had a son who really preferred nonfiction because he really wanted to be learning something. And sure enough, he literally grew up to be a scientist. So that was a good fit. But I was the one who really wanted the the feels attached to it. You know, I, I want to weep through Charlotte's Web. I love the story of Helen Keller. Give me those any day because feeling the story for me is loving the story. I do want to weep through the joys or the tragedies. So Kelly, I'm just curious of you, are you a weeper or are you the one that's looking for that lofty sense of learning, maybe with the vocabulary? And how does that tie into fiction versus nonfiction since I uh, mentioned that briefly?
0: You know, I always say that I I am, i never grew up with my book choices because I would rather read a good, uh, well-written children's book than a lot of the, um, adult novels that are are available today. I like one that's gonna make me feel I will never be able to read uh, Little Women and not cry when Beth mm. dies. Um, I love a, a book that really captures my heart and my emotion like that. But I'm also, I love nonfiction. I love learning new and exciting ideas and things. So would it be possible I could be a weeper and a learner? I don't know. <laughs>
1: I think so. I'm a weepy learner. How's that? <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, let's turn back to the Caldecott. We didn't get that much time on them. And I know that this category is primarily about artistry. So do you want to name some of your favorite picture books? And I also have some I'm going to name. Absolutely.
0: Um, one of my very favorite illustrators is Elizabeth Orton Jones. And She's written, she's illustrated quite a few books. Um, the one that is my favorite is Prayer for a Child. And of course it was written yes. by, um,
1: oh, I just- blanked. Christine Field. Yes, yes. I know is. that one. Mm-hmm. I give that one as a gift. I love that. I love her, that because it's beautiful.
0: Yes, her illustrations just, you feel the warmth of the home. You feel You feel the firelight. You feel all of that. Um, that was a 1945 winner. Um, love that. I love um, McCloskey's books, Robert McCloskey, um, One Morning in Maine. Um, All of his books are truly works of art. Each picture is uh, frame worthy, in my opinion. Um, I love Elizabeth Burton, um, that Little House uh, book, Um, Katie and the Big Snow. uh, She's written several of them, and those are some of my children's favorites um I love the stories I love the illustrations the movement that she causes you know the the illustrations show she does her own illustrations and writes and it shows them the way that the steam shovel moves the dirt and the snow and the house with the other houses growing up around it it's just I love them I Mm -hmm. love picture books Mm -hmm. so much that I'm passionate about them
1: Well, I mentioned earlier that the Friendly book was one of my all-time favorites, but part of it has to do with the artistry. So that was illustrated by Garth Williams. He's my personal all-time favorite. Anything I can find of his, I try to grab. If you're not familiar with him, listeners, he's the one that illustrated the Little House books and so much more. He collaborated quite a bit with Margaret Wise Brown, who most people know from writing Good Night Moon. By the way, my son has a one-year-old and they are reading Good Night Moon like every single night to their little one-year-old. And I get to step in every now and then it's like this sacred thing when we get to step in and listen to Hallie hear Good Night Moon. And I'm the old lady in the corner whispering hush. (laughs) Just There's no words. Anyway, um <clears throat> so yes, the friendly book is my favorite and it's Garth Williams, particularly what he how he illustrates little like bunnies. So it's his nature. I just mm, I just can't get enough of that. Now I did want to let my listeners know that we have also made it a mission to create a picture book favorites list for the mystery of history, particularly because let's imagine a child, say in volume four, who's a tag-along, maybe you have a second grader, and some of the themes of volume four are really hard for a second grader, but These picture books would help bring it down and scale it down a bit for them. So, so far we have for picture book favorites, we have them. I started that when I was rewriting volume two, We have a list of those soon to come out for volume three. I'm working on four, and then eventually I'll circle back to volume one. So there's still a, a work in progress. But yes, it's very, very much one of my missions. Well, Kelly, I kind of feel like you and I could talk children's books all day long, but we know our listeners are busy. They need to get reading. So any last words of advice for those who might be interested in the Newberries or Caldecott books? What would you say to them?
0: I would say have patience in finding them if you're wanting to start a collection, Um, have patience with finding um, the books. It becomes a treasure hunt. And um, that's part of the, the, the fun for me. Um, Family and friends are always on the lookout for me and I keep a list of the ones I'm looking for with me. As far as reading those um, wonderful books, don't be afraid to introduce the books at an early age. Our children are capable of attention if we teach it to them early. Mm -hmm. And even the the longer um, chapter books, your younger ones can can sit through it if you captivate them. And it is, there's so much good literature out there. I know it's very difficult today um, in dealing with we're fighting against video games. We're fighting against social Mm. media and the, the small attention span that those things have created in our children, um, reading aloud and, and having books sitting around your home. That's, that's a way to fight that. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't take much. It doesn't cost much a trip to the library every couple of weeks and have that basket of books sitting all around the house. Mm. And, um, just hang in there, mama. They, if they watch you read and they see you read um, and they see you talking about books you're reading, it's they catch on and they catch it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think one thing you're, you're touching on is the intimacy that this book sharing provides, because I do like one of the reasons I think I'm such a fan of those picture books is because they're still on my lap, the little guys. And I literally have grandchildren now that age, you know, who are like, able to sit on my lap. And of course, you know, the adult children are well, well beyond that, but in the read alouds, you can at least be maybe all on the sofa, you know, so you physically can be more um, intimate and just in proximity to each other instead of each in our own worlds, which is so common with all of our social media. Mm. Well, how can my listeners reach you if they would like to peek into your collection, the, the ones that you buy and sell, what's the best way to follow you or reach you? Um, I have
0: a Instagram shop that I try to update monthly. It's beauty in the ordinary book nook on Instagram. Um, if you are looking for a particular book, if you're um, searching or, or want recommend, recommendations for books, message me there. Um, I have thousands of books for sale. Of course, I can't list them all on Instagram at one time. So um, I I may have what just what you're looking for, and you would be supporting a um, small single mom business as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's the best way to reach me.
1: Okay, Re- say that again, real slow, the full title on Instagram:
0: Beauty in the Ordinary Book
1: Nook. Beauty in the Ordinary Book Nook. All right, on Instagram, wonderful. And literally, that's why I'm coming by your house this afternoon is because I want (laughs) to, I've got some shopping to do. (laughs) I need to replenish a stack for me. Well, again, Kelly, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Thank you, listeners. I pray that your families are experiencing hmm enough peace in your lives that you are gathering and reading. And when you're not, I pray that you will be working your way back there, you know, with a blanket, something warm to drink, at least this time of year, and a mind open to the world through quality children's literature. It is a very special place. Thanks again. For the sake of the mystery, I'm Linda LaCour Hobar. Glad you joined me.
0: Thank you for listening to The Mystery of Home Education with Linda LaCour Hobar. For more information on Linda's award-winning history program, visit themysteryofhistory.com, a one-stop shop for chronological
1: Christian complete world history for all ages.